This episode of Higher Ed Happy Hour is brought to you by Helix Education, the leader in data-driven enrollment growth. For more than 40 years, Helix Education's enrollment growth solutions, including outsourced program management, enrollment marketing, and retention services, have helped colleges and universities successfully find, enroll, retain, teach, and graduate post-traditional learners. To learn more about how data can drive your institution's enrollment growth, visit helixeducation.com slash happy hour. Hello and welcome to the latest Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast. I am Kevin Carey from New America. Uh, I am joined today by my regular partners, uh, Libby Nelson from Vox.com and Andrew Kelly, currently from AEI, but not for long. Andrew, tell us about your plans. I am headed, how about this for a sound effect? I am headed to uh, the University of North Carolina system to work for the general administration as a Senior Vice President for Strategy and Policy under President Margaret Spelling. Well, that is very exciting. Um, we knew about this right before the last podcast, but I guess it hadn't been announced yet, so we didn't want the podcast to upend the press release. To be, Yeah, we did not want it to be jumping the shark. Um, I'm excited. I'm sad yeah. to leave all of you guys. but um, <laughs> so what jumping the shark means. But, uh, anyway. <laughs> sorry, whatever that means. Um, I did not want to, uh, whatever you'd call it, outflank or right. jump ahead of the folks who wanted to make the official announcement. Right. Um, I don't work in media. Give me a break. Um, I'll miss you too. I'm anyway, sorry. I'm excited. I'm going to miss all the nitpicking of the words. That I, just, <laughs> um, I will have other people doing that down there, I suppose. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, I wish I could continue to join as a um, podcast guest from down there, but I just think I'd be really boring. Um, <laughs> Would be. Yeah, I wish you could too, but it would just have the effect of getting you back here really fast because, uh, as a public official, you can't say any of this stuff in public. That's um, yeah. That, I, I'm 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 going to have to learn that very. Yeah. very having been quickly. a public official very early in my career, yeah, and have, have, having having not been one since then, it might yeah. be not be the worst thing. Um, sure, to, to, you can save it to, all up to think. Well, to also have to think many many times over before you say anything. Right. <laughs> no, that's right. So that doesn't lend itself to podcasting, though. Um, what are we drinking? Uh, this is uh, a Pinot Noir, uh, La Crema Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast, um, one of my favorites, uh, and so I hope you guys enjoy it as cheers. much as I do. Cheers. Cheers, Andrew. Nice plastic cups. Mm-hmm. No cheers. Yeah, no cheers noises at all. Silent, is... silent cheers. Well, um, on behalf of the podcast, since this is a alcohol-focused event, um, the podcast <laughs> would like to present to you with a gift, a valedictory gift. A bottle of oh. Jameson Select Reserve. Now we're talking. There we go. Nice. So we're gonna finish the wine. If we finish the wine, and talk about the wine, hit the, hit the Jameson. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. We're gonna go through like go five wrong. very special episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Thank right. you very much, Kevin and Libby, and friends of the podcast. You are welcome. Um, and to thank a word to all of our sponsors. Thank yes, you well, for... this, is, this is the the only compensation I think you received um, uh, yes. for for doing this, other so. than intrinsic satisfaction. Yes. At at um, sparring with both of you. Well, it sounds like a super interesting job. Yeah, um, I think it will be. I knew Margaret when she was the last secretary of education and helped her out on the spellings commission. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. I think she's really smart, and um, it sounds like really interesting. Yeah, right? I was so very. Be... I was. I was really honored to be asked, and um, and I'm excited, really excited to work with her. And the rest of the team down there is terrific. Really smart, sharp people. So. What are you actually going to do? I feel that yeah, we were, I should we were having this conversation this like 15 minutes ago. Our podcast listeners should mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a uh, 
certainly a mix of things. The most, uh, the imminent job, the, the most immediate uh, task that we'll be undertaking uh, as a whole is um, strategic, strategic planning process. So writing, writing a new strategic plan for the four-year system in North Carolina, setting some goals and targets that we're aspiring to um, in the next, uh, uh, you know, um, decade or so, um, and and then thinking through with the individual institutions, how they're going to contribute to those goals and thinking through like, you know, how how should we measure the progress we're making? Um, How should we think about the performance of institutions on on various metrics and measures? So things I've written a lot about, but haven't actually um, implemented. So um, I think it's going to be very interesting. And then, um, you know, a lot of it's going to be interfacing between the various constituencies. So the institutions, the legislature, the board of governors, um, and keeping everybody kind of apprised of where things are. Um, and, uh, you know, probably playing a role in, in, in broader policy discussions about higher ed at the legislative um, and, and governor's level, um, sort of helping to inform inform the policymaking yeah. process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be an interesting blend, an interesting mix of things. I think that's going to be good for me. My brain tends to be um, sharper when I'm doing a couple different things in different capacities. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And it's just going to be an opportunity to learn a lot, um, which, you know, when you're a think tanker, you you learn in these like sort of, you know, quick, quick mm-hmm. successions, right? Because you're trying to write something about something else. This will be kind of like a more long-term project of actually learning the ins and outs of a whole system. So, yeah. um, and the politics. I mean, as we know, the politics in North Carolina are fascinating. Right. So, And then um, there's the, the inter-system politics too, right? Oh, yeah. Because systems are... There are systems on the outside. There are more confederations, in fact, I think. Right? Oh, yeah, you know, so definitely. So the institutions all have, uh, in my experience, tend to be institution first system mm-hmm. are the people we have to deal with. They're often competitive with one yeah. another for students. And right. so, yeah, I mean, these are no, you know, this is, there's no secret that these are, that these issues can be, can be, um, can be fraught because there's 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 a lot of incentives to compete with your peers mm-hmm. rather than work together. And so... That's part of the role of coordinating boards and, and systems. And, um, you know, I will say there's a lot of energy down there. I did a talk at the Student Success Symposium back in April down there. Uh, and there were, you know, every campus was represented and the people were really jazzed up about about what they were up to and thinking more creatively about how to structure the, you know, first year experience and, 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 um, and, and boost retention and completion. So there's a lot of energy. So it's good. That's um, great. And you're going to live in Chapel Hill? Live in Chapel Hill. That's the plan. Yeah. So we're on the we're on the hunt for a house now, and we've got a couple options that that's we're great. thinking about. So, yeah. so I've told you all my stories about my misspent youth in Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Six uh, months was it, or six how long? Months. Six yeah, months, yeah. Uh, about six months. Maybe yeah, this was my months. involuntary gap year when I uh, didn't sign up for the GRE in time and had to wait a year before I could go to grad school. Um, and so that honestly I, seems like a good idea for like it, everyone across the board. It, no, I learned a lot. It's it was funny, really right? Idea. It's like before. Yeah. It's also before. Is this before the GRE was like readily available on the computer? Is that partly why? You I, I mean, it wasn't. You just had to sign. I mean, like I missed the deadline, and it was like wait a year. Yeah, so, you could take. So, the, you yes. could take them anytime. Yeah, yeah no, that was, was not, that was not that was not the case okay. in the early yeah. 1990s when when because uh, well, they moved to computer, which yeah, was I don't know. horrible. I didn't do any of that? I just oh, took awful. a test, and so so I took it in the fall. But then even then, you know, you couldn't apply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I lived down there for six months. So what mine, season just, were you there? Most majority. I was there uh, uh, January to June, and so uh, a, a friend of mine had also. Yeah, so Chapel Hill is lovely. Uh, I a friend of mine who had also who just graduated from UNC and was like hanging out to go to law school. Mm-hmm. We rented an apartment in Carborough. I think our rent was three hundred fifty dollars a month total, mm-hmm. and, and, and like I only needed another one hundred and twenty five dollars to live like, to live on. Yeah, basically. right. And so right. we were both uh, waiters in a rib restaurant on. Friday and Saturday nights, and that was the only thing I had to do. <laughs> nice. For the whole week was just show up to the rib restaurant. I have no idea what I did with the rest of my time. I'm mean, speaking to someone who now is like, I could watch TV for an hour tonight, or I could sleep for five hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and like that's my life. I have mm-hmm. no idea what I did with all my time back then. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's other amazing. than like, we should I make know, college students keep like right. time logs because well, we I, I have never, I've never been lazy to that degree, but I have the same thing yeah. in college where it's like I felt busy all the time, and yet. It yeah. was college without yeah. even. It was, doing it was sort of being in a college town yeah. without even the sort of going to college sometimes, um, and it was great also because this was so this was uh, spring of '93, so this was national championship year. Oh yeah! So this was the year they won the second time around. Um, yeah, that's right. And uh, I actually uh, Eric Montrose, remember Eric Montrose yes. center? So he single came, zero. Yeah, he he uh, sat at my table. For double zero. He came to the, the restaurant in between in the uh, week before the final four. Oh wow! So they came home. You know, they won the regional. Final came back for three days, and he came with his girlfriend, and he loaded he, up on barbecue. Yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, he's seven feet tall. Yeah, uh, he's an enormous person. His girlfriend was maybe five feet tall, and so he ordered like three racks of ribs, and she had a salad. <laughs> and everyone was so they're like, make sure the ribs aren't poisoned. Like, yeah. Everyone was just very, very concerned to make sure that he got. He had that like really aggressive like Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah. Like, he had Joe the flat Friday top. Haircut. Yeah, he had yeah. the flat top and everything, yeah. and they went on. Um, I had a flat top in those days, by the way, when I was like, Did you? when I was like twelve. 13. Yeah. I'm sorry, this is an audio-only podcast. I know. Yeah, you can picture me with a flat top. My yeah. cousin took me to like right. the barbershop, and he's like, we're getting flat tops, and we got flat tops. Yeah. I thought it was the coolest thing. They give you like the little stick to like stick it up with, oh, you know, right, in front. Right, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. A, it's a weird like chapstick kind of deal, which God knows what you're putting in your hair. But. So my one piece of advice is uh, when you're out drinking, yeah. the place to go... Which uh, I do so often these days. <laughs> right, yeah, with your small daughter at home, mm-hmm. um, is so when the bars close, everyone goes to timeout. In, in Chapel Hill. Time it's out. a 24-hour place. Um, so if you go to time, well, I forget if the bars close at 2 or 3 or whatever they are now. So five minutes after that, there'll be this huge line outside this place. And the thing that you get is the chicken and cheese biscuit. Ooh. Don't order it if you're sober. It's horrible. <laughs> Don't go there during the light of day. It should So time out should only be after two, 2 a.m. After 2 a.m. Okay. when you've been drinking, it's wonderful. Yeah. There. And, you, and there's pictures of all the various famous people from UNC making the timeout sign. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're all from UNC except for the one prominent picture of, uh, what's his name, Chris Webber doing it. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, That's yeah. so sad. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, well, the other thing that people have told me about is the drive through biscuit, the Sunshine Biscuits uh, exactly. place. It's like a drive drive through deal. Um, it's like a Chapel Hill fixture. This um, is vaguely ringing a bell. Yeah. I've, I've never lived in Chapel Hill, but I have spent a little right. bit of time there. Yeah. So yeah, biscuits. My daughter and I, we go we go and have biscuits at least twice a week in the mornings at the biscuit place in our neighborhood. So we're gonna fit right in. Yeah. So. But chicken and cheese biscuit. Yeah, this is so this, fried chicken, this sounds, cheese between two biscuits. That sounds that's really, a lot. really special. Yeah. yeah, you can't you can't. It's not even like physically possible to be hungover if you have one of those <laughs> at three a.m. It's a miracle drug. Yeah, it's a miracle drug. So I'm excited. Sadly, the podcast. But so we've already had one it is what it is Twitter offer. Jesse O'Connell from Lumina Foundation to come and take your place. 
I think we should do rotating guests. And he was right. So, but I, I, I think he's worth maybe we should, should not hash it out on the podcast. So he was he was uh, uh, no, you know, times change, man. What's done is done. Um, he sent pictures of the drinks he was going to bring. Yeah. yeah, he was. So yeah, he, that was a good application. He's a, he's a drinks guy. Um, so I feel like we are, we, are we accepting more? Are we accepting more? So, so to our listeners out there, yeah. Jesse O'Connell from Lumina Foundation has set the standard for what it takes to to uh, occupy the very large seat that Andrew is vacating. Um, Jesse's a very large person. He is actually. It's true. Tall. That's true. He, he and Ben a, Miller are like the tallest people in Ed Policy. That's true. It's true. Although the newest person, Arnie here, Duncan's probably taller. Than we have. I, I've asked Ben this so many times, yeah. and I now work with his wife, and I know that he yeah. hates it. And so I'm going to stop asking if he or Arnie Duncan is taller. But unfortunately, I cannot remember the answer. So our new assistant of the higher ed team here, Ernest, is six foot seven. Wow. Yeah, that's really tall. So yeah. So yes. Well, you guys have a minimum height requirement. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, Jesse's really tall. Jesse ran track for Penn or something, right? Or he, was a, he was like a track star. You guys can college. get into this when he's, a, he's your yeah. guest. Okay, well, fine. I think, I think we should have guests and we should make them bring the drinks. This yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So we're not I'm like saying. every week. Uh, so we're not ever smart. like every month at 3.30 being like, now we're talking. we need some yeah. alcohol. That's like the price yeah. of admission. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. So this week, um, actually surprisingly, lots of stuff going on in federal higher education policy for the middle of June. Um, so two things happen this week. Uh, Settling scores. Uh, that's one way of thinking about it. A lot of things often happen in June, yeah. I feel like. June is a happening so? month, yeah. Okay. Gainful, is, gainful, at least the first Gainful came out in June, maybe both. Yeah. I guess the rating system was announced in August mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago. So two things happened this week. One, the Department of Education um, issued a new set of regulations around uh, defense to repayment, which is the, and not just that, but a bunch of stuff. Um, that kind of sprang out of the collapse of Corinthian colleges uh, last year. Um, there's a federal law that said, a, a, uh, to this point, little used federal law that basically says, um, if you take out federal loans and your college defrauds you, you can uh, get your money back. Um, and I think I read in Inside Higher Ed, only 5,000 people had ever applied for this, but there are tens of thousands of people just at Corinthian. It's been a big political thing. Um, it, you know, it's kind of, they came here and, a lot of the students came. There's been a lot of pressure to be very gen- for, from some people to be very generous with the students and to forgive all of their debts, but um, that's complicated. And so uh, the department issued a series of regulations about how they would do that, and they also essentially um, issued a, a companion set of regulations designed under the sort of rubric of let's try to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, different things basically cracking down mostly on for-profit colleges in different ways. Um, no more binding arbitration clauses with students. Um, essentially, more another set of more stringent um, tripwires that would uh, send you into a, a different financial position in terms of having to um, post credit, et cetera, et cetera. To this morning, um, very relatedly, I think, the Department of Education announced an official recommendation that next week, Corinthian College's accreditor, ACICS, um, we'll be coming up in front of Nisiki, which is the essentially accreditor of accreditors, um, the uh, the council that uh, allows accreditors to be accreditors and therefore give colleges um, the ability to uh, take Title IV money and get grant student visas. ACICS is the I think the largest national accreditor. Um, they are a they, they are a big accreditor of many for profit colleges. Corinthian was one of them, um, but also ITT and a lot of other ones. Um, and the department uh, this morning at 10 o'clock said our recommendation is going to be that, uh, that Nisiki, uh, deny, uh, ACICS's, um, bid to be re, re, reauthorized. 
And this will create the first interesting Nasiki meeting uh, um, that has ever been held. That might be true. So <laughs> I've actually so, testified twice in Nasiki meetings. I'm not saying they're interesting. They're no, I'm my first Nasiki. I just realized yeah. now that we're talking about June yeah. was five years ago, which is yeah. uh, crazy. Um, there, there, there are occasional moments of levity, but usually right. they have to do with the weird programmatic accreditors that don't have a lot to do with the yeah. rest of higher ed. Like there's always mm-hmm. this controversy around chiropractors right. or veterinarians. Um, I feel like all like the consumes. everyone else is coming up is just getting a, must be getting a total free pass this time. Oh, totally. Right? There's it's, no way they yeah, have the energy to really so the department this is like classic u.s government like labyrinth right which Mm -hmm. is not labyrinth but kind of like it feels like catch-22 or something right it's like um the book right and in its level of absurdity the, so the department recommends to nasiki that they revoke the recommend the record recognition Nisiki then makes a recommendation to the department. Right. Right. At which point the department <laughs> decides. Right. Do we it's need to like to explain ignore. how Nisiki yeah, works? Yeah, yeah, no, that's I mean, exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. What? Okay, so what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's, no, it's what you said. The department makes a recommendation to Nisiki. Nisiki votes, um, but then the department can uh, ignore their vote and... Uh, uh, do what it wants. There's yes. a lot of great questions about why Nisiki uh, exists. But... Right. It's sort of like the, it's sort of like, it's like, what? Like the electoral college, right? If the mm-hmm. electoral college like was, you know, voters voted for this person, they mm-hmm. recommended who they, the electors voted somebody, voted for somebody else. And, um, but that's still can, not as that's still not as convoluted. Like it yeah. is, it is way easier to understand the electoral college than it is to understand Nasiki. Yeah. And Nasiki and the department have actually had a pretty, um, I don't know. Tense is way too strong of a word, but I, I I would not say Nasiki has always been in locked up with everything the department sure. has no, recommended well, so, or I mean, requested for the like past the la- five years. The so la- I actually am yeah. interested to see how to see where this ends up. The last interesting thing that happened with Nasiki was related to your uh, future boss, Andrew, where um, one mm-hmm. of the recommendations coming out of the Spellings Commission was uh, that uh, Nasiki require colleges as Nasiki require accreditors to require colleges to have some kind of like bright line measure of what learning is. Mm-hmm. So therefore, so accreditors can then decide, set some standard for if students aren't learning enough, then maybe you shouldn't be a college anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and in response to that, at the time, the secretary appointed all the members of Nasiki. Mm-hmm. In response to that action, uh, the accreditors and the higher ed lobby went to Congress. And during the last HEA reauthorization, Congress took two thirds of the appointments away and gave right. it to themselves. Mm-hmm. So that was widely seen as a rebuke to uh, the attempt to use Nisiki to advance a policy agenda, mm-hmm. I would say I would say interesting things have happened since then. Yeah. But that that was probably the highest level right. drama of Nisiki. Um, one of the things we've seen over the past five to six years. This is totally me covering mm-hmm. for having followed higher ed news zero this week because I've been on the mass shooting. So I'm going to talk a lot about the thing I do know about, which is how Nisiki works. Um, mm-hmm. For the past, at least the past four or five years, especially the first years of the Obama administration, they would send these like extraordinarily picky reports to Nasiki in terms of having gone through everything. And granularity was the term that the accreditors used. Um, and Nasiki would go over all of these like extremely picky, tiny individual recommendations and then give everyone a six month, ex- month extension mm-hmm. and at the end of that extension just rubber stamp it. As far as I could tell, like all of the scrutiny was to like, well, we will pay attention to these like very much mirroring the process the of philosophy you were doing wrong of the accreditors then, themselves. Yeah, and then yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is yeah. like granularity on granularity. It is inputs in the same way that accreditors look at inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very tedious, but in some ways interesting process that sort of informs you about what is valued uh, on both sides of the equation throughout this. I don't want to say the word process again. Throughout this process of processes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be um, interesting because one of the things that's interesting to me about the the people that I know on Nasiki is that they are um, highly critical of accreditation and accreditors, mm -hmm. um, but also highly critical of the department for meddling in mm -hmm. what they see as sort of this the, the business of colleges and universities. And one of the reasons, one of the things that they are critical of accreditors on is there is the sense that accreditors have actually been too involved in some things that they shouldn't be involved in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to, to know, to think about how that might break down on this question in particular, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Cause this feels like this on one level, this could feel like the department, right? Taking a more, a more aggressive posture, um, in a way that those, that those folks disagree with. But on the other hand, right, they, they're also frustrated by the fact that accreditation doesn't, isn't this seal of approval that it should be and doesn't help consumers make decisions and so on. Yeah, I'm also not sure. Has the makeup of Nasiki changed? My last Nasiki was a couple of years ago, so I'm not sure if... In terms of who's on yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whose term has come up and who's uh, been appointed in I know a place. couple people who are on it, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's Rick O'Donnell's on it, um, the guy who's founded Skills Fund and was a Colorado official before that. Um, um, I'm trying to think of who else. Is the president of the University of Phoenix still on He was on it the last time I was there, but oh. that was like four years ago. I don't know. We should have looked it up. There are for-profit representatives. If it's not him, it's somebody else. Okay. Um, I mostly remember the like two or three people who I always thought actually made some sense, and I, mm -hmm. I don't know if they're still there, but that was out of a, a board of like fourteen. Um. Yeah, I don't get the sense that it's a very um, that people are um, like ecstatic about being appointed to Nasiki. <laughs> well, it's, it's a so, lot. There yeah. are a lot of reports. The meetings are yeah. extremely boring. They are held in a ballroom that is a dungeon. Um, it is an important. It is an I important job. But it's so it's so, next Thursday. Yeah. You have to be so in the sort of labyrinth of higher ed even to understand why what you're doing is important, which is why I think mm. actually a lot of the people who I thought at least often would like speak clearly mm. and state the problem clearly and, mm. and seem to understand what they were doing were the people from the institutions, um, which is actually somewhat different than it is a lot of other places because it's like, oh, well, you, at least you, you like actually understand what this is supposed to be accomplishing as but opposed to using it as your soapbox. This moment when Nasiki meets in a drab <laughs> ballroom in Crystal City Virginia. It's going to be amazing. And, Let's go. And yeah. So many uh, momentous decisions and, are made about federal policy. And decides way. whether or not to reaccredit a creditor is in many ways like the single point of absolute of actual contact between the entire federal financial aid system and the entire higher education system. Like that is it. Like that is the only place where there's sort of a through line of policy and decision making between this enormous and kind of expensive uh, you know, national investment in higher education and the actual conduct of colleges and universities. So, so it, like it, it seems Byzantine and like super regulatory, but I think there's a reason that this whole thing is kind of having all this attention because it also, I mean, it also seems so. Like my uh, former colleague Ben Miller, who's at the Center for American Progress, um, published a paper a couple weeks ago called "ACICS Must Go." And it is uh, just a litany of essentially all the terrible things that ACICS accredited colleges have done over the last five years. And it is amazing. I mean, I mean, I kind of knew that all that stuff was going on, but... Well, and the CICI has been at ACICS and the department has been at ACICS yeah. for five or six years now. I mean, this is not new. Right. And there's... there's sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's also like, I mean... <laughs> Part of the problem is with the whole setup of accreditation, which is essentially oftentimes seems to me from the outside to be a some sort of box checking exercise, right? Which is sort of like, how much do you look like 
um, how much, how many of the things that you have, this mm-hmm. process, processes and inputs, not just inputs, right? It's not just things and libraries and everything else. It's also, what's your process for measuring student learning? We're not, we're not too worried about what the actual outcomes of that student right. learning are until, until they're so bad that we can't ignore them anymore. Right. right. And so, you know, part of this is just like, if you were to, you know, if you were to measure institutions based on how well they do on some accepted standard, Right. And you and that was the way you regulated them, whether it was the accreditors or the department, because this is about the defense repayment stuff too, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, then you would we wouldn't be in this situation, right? Instead, we've relied on the uh, we relied on proxies for what we think of as educational quality. You know, it's a lot of what your book's about, right? But like, we've relied on these proxies that like may or may not have anything to do with um, the actual output, right, uh, of these places, and so. Um, yeah, and then and then just the the opportunities for sort of like constant, right, improvement plans and circling back, right, of like oh well do this, right, like meanwhile they're just they continue to enroll people, right, mm-hmm. like and that I mean that's like where you know it's like because this is held like in almost like quasi secret like space right a lot of the accreditation review and the mm-hmm. ver- not all not all of it's public not quasi secret yeah, yeah most of it's and not it's public not, yeah and so you know you wind up in the scenario where where continuous improvement translates to like thousands of second chances mm-hmm. right instead of actually just doing something about the problem but and to me like nobody's proven that they have the nerve to deal with it the department hasn't ever proven that mm-hmm. and people say corinthian proves it doesn't prove it you know, I mean, they, 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 they sort of, the Corinthian thing, their line on this seems to be, well, we didn't know that that would happen the way it did. Right. It's so like, not a, like, sure. They yeah. would even like, yeah. at least they should be like, no, we knew. And we knew it was time to stand right. up and do it. Right. Right. And like, you know, so it's like who, nobody's proven that they're able to, uh, across the spectrum, political politics, agency, employees, creditors, Right. And and the the one thing the ACIS ACICS people are like, well, we tried to shut down a college, but a judge stopped us from shutting right. down a college, right? I mean, at every step of the way. Yeah, and that's not the only time that's <laughs> happened. I mean, so creditors are in a tough spot. Nobody likes them, right? So so the the colleges mm-hmm. will get behind them if for the like the greater good of uh, opposing federal authority uh, in, at all times and for all reasons. Um, but the colleges themselves get super frustrated with the accreditors because they think it's a waste of time, but they don't, but they don't want to actually be regulated. So that's to your point, right? So there's, so there's, I mean, like regulators behave a certain way, right? You think about the attitude that like the Securities and Exchange Commission takes with Wall Street. They don't trust them. They would be bad at their jobs if they just trusted that these people they were regulating were going to do everything right. They wouldn't exist if there weren't reasons to think that that there needed to be a watchdog, somebody who was really kind of putting a gimlet eye on what was going on. We don't have anything like that in higher education. The whole accreditation system is based, it like depends on organizations being bound substantially by norms. Some of the right? states, some of the states act this way. Some of the but, states but, do. But yeah. only, but only for but only their some. state residents. Not that many. Right? Right. Yeah. right. And so, and I mean, you know, in fairness, right, right. there are some, but yeah, but it's really uneven. It's very yeah. uneven. And it's, um, and it, and oftentimes even when it's, even when it looks, 
uh, like it's taking a, a stand, that can also sometimes be counterproductive to the extent that, that, that it may preclude you from letting anything new into your state, right? That might actually help people. Um, so, you know, it's not always, it's not always the case that the most aggressive posture is, is, is as productive as, as you, as it should be, but. Yeah, I mean, I would say the sort of the two pieces of news of the past two days are just really like almost perfectly illustrative of how convoluted the higher education system and thus the regulation of that system is, where on the one hand, you regulate at the very, very, very beginning before anyone is actually accredited and thus eligible for Title IV, Mm -hmm. and you regulate at the very, very end where they have already taken out the loans, they've already left or graduated, and they're in debt. And there's almost nothing in between. Um, And those are sort of the two points where, because of the way the system is set up, the federal government can interface. It's like, really, before it's too early to make a huge difference, um, or in a way that is like really, truly life or death for the colleges in the sense of either denying an accreditor or denying accreditation, um, or at the like very tail end of the process when you end up with like, do we forgive the debt, which is ideally probably not the question that you want to be asking. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. It's sort of like, I mean, I think I stand by, Kevin and I were talking about this before you, just before you walked off the elevator, but like, you know, if you got if you got serious about what I said, you know, one of the ideas I've written a lot about is risk retention and the idea about this is basically like back end risk retention, right? This is basically like, oh, you've already admitted students and you've do, you've done a terrible job of educating them in some cases, many cases, right? And now we're going to tell you that you're on the hook for those dollars, in fact, right? Whereas, like, if you reverse that and you change that order and you say you're on the hook for this, right, from the start, right, then suddenly like people start to make different decisions, right? They start to make different decisions about who they enroll, which makes people really uncomfortable, but it's something we have to talk about. They make different decisions about what programs to offer, what prices to price them at, right? I mean, that's the problem with this, right? Is it's all this retroactive thing, and maybe this will have a similar effect, but may, but but not, I mean, you have to have something up front that, that compels this behavior. Well, not only is it retroactive, it's never the institution itself that directly is suffering here. I mean, yeah, it's, they're, they're not paying the loans back. Because yeah, they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're not the ones right. who are trying to get yeah. their loans forgiven and or not. They're also not the right. ones who will bear the cost of any loan forgiveness. What and ha- at the other end, like, they could seek under the new, under the right? new, like, under the new but rules, you stay they're alive. Su- they're you have su- to pay it back? Under like the Corinthian hadn't gotten bankrupt. That's a big. Mm. That's a big point of the of the new of okay, the new right. rule. Yeah. Is to basically mm-hmm. say you're we're going to charge you okay. for this. We're going to charge you for yeah. write offs, basically, mm-hmm. right? But this is like, but like that's but at the what, same time, like the students have to go to the department. Like that's still not. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's what that's what a risk retention yeah. system would do. It would mm-hmm. make those rules clear from the start. Like, look, if you're if you're if your students do poorly in repaying their loans, you're going to be on the hook for some of this. But right? now that they know this ahead of time, because this is mm-hmm. policy, do you think that will start to change their? I mean, now that they'll that. So loan repayment rates are now part of the new the new structure where like like they're one of the triggers where you have to disclose your loan repayment mm-hmm. rates and um, point of order. These are just uh, proposed regs, right? Um, are they final? I mean, they didn't come to consensus. It's the proposed. It's the prob. It's the, the pro- thing this week was. So it's the proposed. Okay. So it's a post. It's a post post, post neg reg, but not yet final. Correct. There'll be comment. Yeah. There's a comment period. Okay, so there's proposed. a comment period. I'm just thinking about how the clock is running out here too. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure someone there is thinking about that too. I, I, so I'm, I'm is, certain, but <clears throat> so yeah. the different, so the only difference I would say is um, to your point about will that change it? I think it certainly would change some of the behaviors, um, but the point is that like you save you save the individual students, right? Who would avoid a program? Who would avoid being recruited to a program? The trouble of taking on the debt, dealing with the debt, soliciting relief from the debt. Right. Because because an institution wouldn't 
you know, w- would 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 take it upon themselves to say, wow, we've got to stop offering that program, period. We've got to stop offering that. And I mean, maybe you have the same effect, sure. But like, but but to me, an, a policy that makes that clear up front rather than leaving it to the decisions of decision makers in the department, right? About like what's fraud and what's not fraud. And you know what I mean? It's just, a, it's a really uncertain and, and highly discretionary task as opposed to a self-enforcing, self-executing rule that says, you're going to be charged for some of these write-offs. I'm like personally super interested in a new federal definition of fraud and thinking hard about exactly what it may apply to. Mm. Um, that's going to be, I mean, that's what's going to, a lot of this is going to turn on that. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think mixing, <laughs> mixing together an experience good with high, large sums of money mm-hmm. is, um, and, then, and then promising to write some of that off for people is, is going to be like, could be a could be a disaster. So four but, four billion annually is one of the, as the high end of the estimate. Yeah. Which is like, well, but no, that's because we don't really know, right? You know, what I mean. Yeah, but like if it gets anywhere yeah. near that, yeah, that's like you know that's that's what like that's like one seventh of the Pell Grant program, uh, uh, roughly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in some ways, the the uh, let's see AC let's say that ACICS is killed, which seems mm-hmm. kind of likely now. I mean, again, the department has made a recommendation. It. They decide whether to take their own recommendation right. in a yeah. couple of weeks. And so so the department makes a recommendation. <laughs> Even if Nasiki votes against it, it goes back to uh, the Department of Education's chief of staff is the one who decides. So, okay. Um, and then I what mean, happens it's, to It's going to be a huge deal, first of all. I mean, it's going to be a big – because all of those yeah. schools – so let's be clear. So for, just to, to talk this through a little bit, every school that is uh, – uh, that loses accreditation because their accreditor is essentially like blown to pieces has uh, a year and a half mm-hmm. to go find a new accreditor. And if they don't, then they're, then they're out of work. And you don't think an accreditor will spring up who will be more than happy to take their Well, but in. then don't they put themselves in the position of being the next ACICS, right? I mean, I mean, they, I mean. Just a few years down the line. I don't know. Not if they I, actually, I, I, but like, let's be clear. Not if they actually do the job that they yeah. claim to do, which is continuous improvement to help colleges do better. Sure. If they don't do it, then yes. But like maybe that's what we need is like more of accreditors actually embracing what they claim no, to be I agree their with mission. That. I'm just saying right? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure these other inst- I mean, do they are they going to want to take on who's left? I mean, all the institutions that haven't been. I mean, there's an interesting thing kind of going on where and I think it's an important distinction to make. So the department, there's an interest in protecting students from a bad education where someone like charges you way too much money and gives you nothing in return and you can't pay your loans back. There's also an interest in protecting students from enrolling in a school that will go out of business in the middle of your program. Yes. And accreditors actually, the same thing. Yeah, right, right, yeah, they're actually quite yeah. different, you know. Yeah. So we see there's, there's yeah. a bunch of one assumes not fraudulent like liberal arts colleges that frankly uh, I don't think could plausibly claim 100% confidence that they'll be around in four years. I mean, we, they're, you know. Um, uh, and so they're trying to do both, right? You know, and, and, and it's, so those are two different regulatory challenges in the whole letter of credit thing. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Because you're basically like asking someone to get a letter of credit is only a bad thing for them financially, right? Like it kind of, like, it's just sort of puts, it kind of speeds up the process of the institution, either figuring out a way to make it work financially or not. It doesn't help them. You're not giving them money. You're essentially taking it away from them. Yeah, you're withholding it. They have to yeah. find it somewhere else. Right. Basically. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if but you have to go into way... the private market and get get a letter of credit, that's going to cost you something. But like, imagine if we started there, right? Again, like, imagine mm-hmm. if you started there and said, "That's a really good sorting mechanism, right?" Because like, because you'd actually find a bunch of schools that that nobody will lend money to, 
right? Mm-hmm. From the start, right? You say, right. no, no, you're going to have to actually put up, you're going to have to pony up some money, right? And and like as, a, as opposed to waiting, right? As opposed to waiting till things have gotten so bad mm-hmm. that you ask them to go get a letter of credit. At which point you've already like, right? There's, there's this whole like litany of things uh, and group of students that you failed in many cases, sure. right? So, I mean, this is why I, th- I feel like this is the, the, the thing we're going to keep repeating, which is like, we're going to just punish and and punish schools and punish and try to get money back for students. And I get that, right? Schools that do a bad job mm-hmm. shouldn't be allowed to continue to operate. But rather than actually like take pro- pro- proactive steps at the front end to say, how do we do quality assurance better? But isn't the barrier to doing everything you say the schools? I mean, there's probably a bunch of overly aggressive and ambitious like federal policymakers and regulators who would love to get into the middle and start setting criteria ahead of time and all the rest of it. And it's the higher education industry that is dead set against anything like that. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I also I also think that I also think there's been a lot of um, there there's been uh, policy design big policy design questions right that 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 where where people haven't actually settled on what the department is capable of doing well we've had this conversation on this podcast before about the ratings right so people thought so for a while it was like the ratings are are the whole ball game and if you don't support the ratings you don't support accountability and right blah 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 blah, right so rather than thinking through like how do other sectors do some of this, right? Like how do other, you know, and like, and, and, and what is the, what are, what's a federal regulator capable of doing well and measuring well? And, and like, so this is part of the problem, I think, is like, it's not just the lobbies, right? It's that people haven't actually come up with, that's a big part of it. But it's also like coming up with a compelling policy design that works in a way that like is insulated from all that stuff, Right. Like core default rate decisions aren't insulated because you can make an 11th hour decision to change it up, right? Accreditation decisions for the same reason. And the question is, how do we find one? And I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is, yeah. but how do we find one? No, I mean, I think that is an incredibly difficult question that really extends beyond this specific situation. There's a reason that debt has become essentially the way to regulate higher education, and it's at least that you can measure it and you can tell if people are paying it back or not. And then you, as you said, you can like fudge the numbers at the last minute if their college is failing the CDRs, but you know, it's something. I mean, even even in K-12 where technically learning has been measured and regulated for 15 years, there is not an agreed upon or widely publicly accepted definition, I would argue of what is acceptable and what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is a, 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 there is a sort of a political acceptance of a measurement. Right. But I am really surprised by how many people I know who are like quantitatively smart in other fields who are like, oh, but standardized test scores mean nothing, right? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, it really is interesting like right. how pervasive that idea is. Sure. I am just dread, like, I, got a I don't know how you come up with that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, like, I mean, I do like wonder. There is like increasing. How you come up with something. Yeah, that's non sequitur, but there is increasingly interesting evidence that like performance on standardized tests is actually not as highly correlated with later life outcomes as we thought. Which is which is like raises really interesting questions about how we like evaluate teachers and schools. And- I mean, I, I will also say like I am not a hundred percent. I like do think generally like being able to read is a good thing, and standardized tests can probably measure it. And like, only generally, there's only a point where there's a point at which if you're not learning that, it doesn't really right. matter. But I also am not you know a total absolutist that like growth measures can capture everything or. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do think, think like, yeah. and then college, like, Americans can't even agree on what they want colleges to do. I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody um, about this, and we were we were sort of just 
talking about the way forward, right, for, for, for federal accountability. And one of the things that occurred to me is that you just – the conversation gets much simpler if you stop talking about quality and measuring quality and all that stuff. And you just start to say, I'm a lender, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to make the cash flows work, right, I have to have the money coming back from the people I lend the money to. And if it doesn't, somebody else is going to have to help contribute to that cash flow, Right. Because I need to lend to the next generation of students. And I won't have it if I don't. I mean, that's not really the way it works. But, like, I won't have it if it doesn't, right? right. right. Like, once you start to talk about it that way, like, the conversation around, like, some of the stuff, like, risk retention or, like, like letters of credit or whatever, Mm -hmm. like, that starts to actually make a lot more sense. Because you're leaving the questions of, like, quality and learning. And I know we all... Those are really important questions, Mm -hmm. right? But this is is one way in which this is much simpler, in fact, than K-12. Because you're not, the feds are not making value judgments about what it means to be literate and numerate. They're making value, they're making a judgment about whether their money's coming back in at the rate that they need it to. No, that's a totally fair point. That's but you totally are you point. are implicitly sort of narrowing the purpose of higher education to what the market will will provide in exchange for those. Kids. No, no, I think you're. I think you're. I think what you're. Uh, you're not narrowing it because. Um, because schools always have the choice to not participate in the loan program. Um, uh, the notion that the notion the notion that a that I mean, a decent educate that a decent education and your and the ability to repay a dollar on the principal of your loan within five years are totally uncorrelated to me is total bullshit, right? I didn't say totally uncorrelated. I'm just yeah. saying, but I mean, but but you see what I mean? Like once you get if you get to like a reasonable mm-hmm. right, if you say like we don't want people who go to college and borrow for college to be living in poverty, right? Right? Which like, we don't. I, yeah, and some I, people do because yeah. they take a they'll take a. A, a profession mm-hmm. that has very low wages, but like on some level, that's still not living in poverty, though. Yeah. For the most part, is like a right. college graduate. Like, right? it's just yeah. not. I just like so. I don't. I don't. I mean, I get. I'm. There's no way in which we should. So I think this is another place where we get caught up. Right? It's mm-hmm. is because the feds and all of us, in many cases, have have insisted on using the language of of educational quality to describe accountability that we get into this trap. Of saying we're measuring quality when we measure repayment rates, which we're not, right? <laughs> like, by, but we're not. There's it's probably it's probably correlated with something that constitutes quality. But what we're measuring is whether the federal government, the obligations of the federal government, uh, you know, is, they're lending out money. Are people repaying repaying that money? Like, I just start and just stop there. We do this with the food stamp program, right? We give out food stamp money to the states. If the states give it out inappropriately, the states have to pay some of it back, mm-hmm. right? And guess what? They stopped giving it out. They stopped giving out it out in error. There's, the error rates are still there, sure. but they're much lower than they were. That was like a Clinton era. We um, also have no state accountability for what they do with either federal, for anything involving higher education, right? So states can mm-hmm. literally make any choices they want, and it doesn't affect the amount of money flowing into their system. Partly because other it doesn't than, flow to them. Yeah. Other than, well, but I mean, it does. I mean, it comes to their citizens, which comes to their institutions. I mean, so. Sure. So. But, but it but it also comes to them through citizens from other states, right? So, I mean that you know, so it's depending on your net inflow and outflow. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, but um, anyway, so I I think yeah, I think that's but it, so I think that to put a finer point on it, the lobby is part of the problem, mm-hmm. but 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 blaming all of this on the lobby lets us off the hook of thinking about a policy design that works and that is transparent and simple and doesn't doesn't lead us into the trap that that the lobby has easy answers about right which is oh you don't that's we do more than that and we don't you know you're not measuring what we really do and so like i i and i agree with them 
in many cases, right? But but as a lender, right, the feds have to think differently. If they weren't the, if they weren't a lender and they weren't running the biggest bank in America, they wouldn't have to think this way, right? right? But they are, and and so you know, not thinking about it that way, I think, has done led us down a bunch of blind alleys where we're trying to like measure the top to bottom quality of institutions, which people which people rightfully, in my opinion, bristle at. Although, I mean, the ACICS is only if they're in the spot they're in, not really because they're doing a bad job at any of those things, but they just failed to essentially stop rampant, terrible behavior. Right? I mean, so this, they also so, like apparently failed to notice that Corinthian was about to go out of business, which is maybe the most damning thing. And here. everybody else too. I mean, yeah. I mean, so so there was the there was a piece in BuzzFeed like last week, like last month, about this actually not a for profit, a nonprofit Northern Polytechnic University. In Who, by the way, Valley. under the new rules, won't have to report on low rates of loan repayment because they're a nonprofit. Uh, but they didn't have to either before, right? So, yeah. I mean, they, but they weren't, they weren't, loans weren't their issue though. None of their students were taking out loans. Fine, but there's no change for an right, institution right, 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 like yeah. that. I mean, right? but they were not, they, they, none of their students were in the loan program because they were selling student visas to students from India. That was their scam. Um, and like someone sent ACICS like all the information and they literally just sent them the, like, like a whistleblower was like, look at all the terrible fraudulent things that are happening here. And all they did was say, can you send us a new org chart or something? I mean, it was really just, they did nothing. Um, I mean, they're the accreditor for ITT, which is going out of business. They're accreditor for Brown Mackey, which went shut down two days ago. Um, they're the accreditor for Fast Train College, uh, the Miami-based, and that's always a warning sign, by the way. Fast. Mi- Fa- no, 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 Fast Miami-based. Oh, Miami-based. Well, okay, also that. <laughs> the point. Miami-based or Vegas-based. Yeah, right? yeah, Anderson that's right. Yeah. 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 Although Fast Train should be one. Also, Fast Train also yeah. should be one. Yeah. Like that's, that's a yeah. bad name. Because Put those two together. Is. Miami-based yeah. Fast Train College. You don't need. Shut to it down. Read, We're you done. You don't yeah. even need to read the rest of the article, which talks about how they hired strippers <laughs> to entice. High school dropouts. But you should because that's amazing. Because it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, doing high, high school dropouts. They got they they brought in six and a half million dollars in Pell Grants for high school dropouts, all of whom were, Ill, were Ill, ineligible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy who founded it is in prison now. Um, well, that happened. Yeah. There you go. See, it didn't and he out. told he told Crime he, he told his he told his people to quote go find the sluttiest girls you can find. Go get the sluttiest girls you can find to come and work for us to recruit students here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Miami-based fast train college. So, also ACICS. Not only accredited, but according to the CAP report on the ACICS honor roll. They apparently maintain some kind of like honor roll system in like all like these colleges. Is this like you your dues and then some? Like, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But like of, of the 17 different colleges or corporate organizations that have been like investigated or like settled over the last five years, 12 of them were on the honor roll. Yeah, that's, What's that's sort of interesting right. to me is like what – I mean I get that so accreditation agencies are are – organizations they have employees right. they have they have been around for mm-hmm. oftentimes a long time but and I, so i get that I, I get like the instinct for self-preservation on those grounds but like it is kind of interesting to be like you know if if you're like confronted with the facts like like i just i'm sort of amazed that they're sort of like fighting sort of fighting it and trying to do i get what you try to do better but like if if you're like dude you're not doing any better like why don't they just fold up just, like a cot? Co- well, they're not. I mean, they're know. membership organizations, right? They're not just like organizations. Yeah, but but the mem- right. but member but membership. Sure, that's fine. So so your members would want you to stay stay right. in. Existence, I think two thirds of the board members of the accreditor are executives at for profit colleges. Yeah, like that. I mean, it just seems like it seems like you're just 
you know, and I, don't, I mean, maybe they won't. Somebody, I, somebody, something I read today said that people were still skeptical that they would get because of the chaos. It's gonna sort of. I mean, yeah, I was just gonna say so that that's the point I've but, been wanting to make for a little bit here, which is. I feel like accreditors vis-a-vis the department and Nasihi have the same problem that accreditors themselves have vis-a-vis right. universities, which is there's the death penalty and there's nothing. Yep. And there's absolutely nothing in between. Like, yeah. death penalty and strongly worded letter, I guess, right. are your two, like, penalizing yeah. options. And it's – they should understand this dilemma well because it's it's the exact same one they have. Like, not to, mm. not to attack your new employer, but I, this makes me think of UNC and their accreditor, like, to its credit, trying to – do something or at least be like, hey, like offering fake classes is not okay. Right. Please don't do that. But like no one who knew anything about higher education believed for a minute that that was going to go any further than that. Sure. And it just does feel like that is a, a serious flaw for both sides of this equation where it's like, well, you can put people out of business or you can sure. send a nasty note. Like that's, well, that's, yeah, yeah. those are your choices. Like, but yeah. what, so what Sachs, the accreditor, in that, yes. was, yeah. was unwilling to do was to say, you know what? Nothing about our process could have stopped this. We don't ask these questions. No, I mean, we yeah, have, it was. We it have was no theater. idea. It was totally theater. Uh, the process but at least they actually. Tried some theater. So, so we're not going to embarrass ourselves by doing this ex post facto kind of tisk-tisking mm-hmm. and pretending that UNC Chapel Hill's accreditation is at risk because mm-hmm. it's not. That's just ridiculous. But they, they're not willing to say that. They like they're not for a little willing bit, to. Though. What's that? They pretended for a yeah, little for bit. Yeah, for like a week or two. I know. Okay, you know, like, like that's probably the appropriate amount of time. I mean, nobody thought it was really going to happen, but yeah. you know. But but like people who don't do this actually take. I mean, like you read the newspaper. Oh, the accreditation. Oh no! Are and risk. people you know, like tweeted me about it. And I was like, Are you yeah. do, do you understand how accreditation works? Right. No, you don't. And yeah. I'm too busy to. Explain I mean, they also Sachs also didn't they sanction UVA for the whole? Maybe I was. Yeah, I mean, I may have mixed these two up in my head as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Okay, really. Um, well, but I, strongly worded letters. Yeah. But yeah, but but yeah. So so part of it's like, but but accreditors have accreditors could do more than that, mm-hmm. right? They just choose not to. They don't really have like, f- they don't have financial power, right? Because it's actually the it's the structure of the federal mm-hmm. policy that leads it to be the yes. strongly worded letter yeah. or not. So like a ma- so like an accreditor that actually got you know that either that a relationship between the feds and the accreditors where the accreditors had sort of like tiered kind of criteria and at the and at the lowest criteria the red you know red or yellow or whatever right you have to put up the 10 percent mm-hmm. right the 10 percent of the funds you get right. or something right like like or they're withheld or something right like well that's the gainful idea right if there is like a yeah theory, but, like a mid-tier watch list sort of situation yeah but you'd have like but but the accreditor the accreditor would be um would would have more power there to be the one deciding which tier you fall into, right? Mm-hmm. So you're actually like using, and the problem is that doesn't work because they're the uh, institutions pay the dues, right? So, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's not. I don't think it's as craven as people say it is. Like I don't think you're buying, but but it is just like but a, it is. I mean, so like like Ralph Wolf, who's on and Seeky now, and I think it's one of the people who involved in the ACICS. Thing. I mean, he was you know he tried to like yeah. really push this stuff when he was out at mm-hmm. Western. And what everyone has told me is that Stanford was like, hell no. Yeah, I was, I was curious this. where Wasp stood because the last not. time I paid are attention we, to Are this. we going to go along with this? Well, well this, this is no part way. of why. But this is part of why. This is this is part of why we need a system that says Stanford. You know, and I and like I think Stanford probably has lots of problems as we've we've heard over the past yeah. week or a couple of weeks. But um, a system that says if you're doing well by objective measures, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then like then no, like you that. shouldn't have to put up with. This, I think I think that right? makes sense. Or or you could have I mean you could disassociate accreditation from the financing system. Have mm-hmm. like like an accreditation system that really is based on strong norms and values, mm-hmm. where all it's really doing is serving the institutions and sending some kind of signal, prestige signals, 
into the marketplace. And an accreditor that did that really could go to UNC Chapel mm-hmm. Hill and say, you know what, like that was disgusting. We're, we're, we're embarrassed for you. It's completely <laughs> contrary to our values. We're kicking you out for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, like come so back and reapply. So do- like, It doesn't have anything to do with your financial aid, you know, but like the other institutions, frankly, are just like, like you've got to show us that you're doing better. And then they could come back and it would be real mm-hmm. in its own way, but it wouldn't be financial. So I should know this because I spoke at ASPA like twice a year for three years, but programmatic creditors aren't tied to Title IV. Do they do that? Right. Like, do they do like symbolic, like kicking out of people uh, and bringing them back they're, in? They're tied to some federal funding. So right. any, so yeah, because it's like any of the smaller grants, like around, like so special things for like mm-hmm. STEM or like That's you fair. still have mm-hmm. to, your program will have to be accredited is my understanding. A programmatic but they accredit a lot of colleges yeah. that aren't like going for anything or a lot sure. of programs rather than aren't going for yeah. anything like that. Yeah, that's that. right. They're, they're mostly for like purposes of like licensure and mm-hmm. Um, and so on. I don't know if they do that. It's, it'd be interesting to know. My sense is they don't, but that is based mm. solely on my like the little bit of time I would spend around the edges at their conference. Um, they may not have so to I, because I because eventually. of the incentives, right? So like if 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 the programmatic accreditor's decision isn't as massive uh, and high stakes, then maybe people actually don't just go to lowest common denominator to get over the bar, mm-hmm. but actually try to achieve the programmatic accreditor standards because they have interest in doing that because it helps them attract students. And are, yeah. and, and I, vaguely, I vaguely remember when was a journalism and, school one that went down that was interesting and kind of along these lines, but I unfortunately don't remember the case, so somebody yeah. should tweet at me if they remember so another, it. So another way to think about like this is the, the discussion that we had at, at our group a couple weeks ago, which was um, that Ben that Ben Millen and I have been just sort of talking about in, in very broad strokes, but like how do you think about accreditors or the quality assurance and entities having having this skin in the game so like a skills fund right like like thinking about accreditors or or whatever those bodies are as actually as actually either lenders or like somebody that has that actually has some financial stake in the institutions doing well like that changes the conversation entirely right because then suddenly they're like well I'm not going to credit a bad school because I lose money on that right or like I'm at risk on, on that front and 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 I guess in theory that's the way it kind of works now but never works that way so in other words like thinking about this is back to s- also some of our Trump conversation right yeah. the Trump pirate plan right I say yeah I want to like angle out for the last like five minutes of Andrew's time on this podcast ever yeah. but I'll let you finish your thought before um I but you know what I mean so thinking about like thinking about like other entities that could play a mm-hmm. much more effective quality assurance role mm-hmm. because they actually have a definite stake in how the students do mm-hmm. right because they have a financial stake in it in some cases, right? So, you know, I've often, I've thought about like, what would, you know, like some of these nonprofit state lenders, right? Like, could they play some kind mm-hmm. of quality assurance role in a new system? You right? see also in programmatic, programmatic accreditation, there's a more serious cost benefit for the institution, yeah. right? So like- Yeah, that's true. Institutional yeah. accreditation, you just have to pay because mm-hmm. you have no choice where you have like the, the teaching program accreditors or like, a, I mean, there's some, there are like some, there are some big, like most big universities have them graduate programs where two thirds are programmatically accredited and the, right. but the other ones aren't. Right. And it's like, it's expensive, it's time consuming and you just have to decide whether it's reputational and it's, it's and particularly if it's not tied to licensure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're actually making some kind of decision about, mm-hmm. is this worth my time and money? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, so I think it runs mostly off prestige. I yeah. think people I like think professors want to be I mean, that's sort a, of what they, that's sort of what they believe yeah. is that that's the, the value that they deliver. <clears throat> I think part, I mean, I think part of the, you know, right. part of what I'm trying to say is like, so 9010 and some mm-hmm. of these other notions around like, well, you have to be able to pass a market test right. and whatever else. Like, 
Like that came up this week too. Like, a lot of that, but, but a lot of that's like 10. he wants it to be eighty five fifteen. Yeah, which is what it used to be. Yeah, but like a lot of that is like so that's all sort of bound up in some of the same same questions, right? Like whereas where so and a creditor's not like a creditor's not on the hook financially for anything that goes on in the campuses they accredit unless and until they get derecognized by Nasiki, right, or the department upon recommendation from Nasiki, right, <laughs> or not. So, but so, but think about like so. In, in other words, think about a system where like where like if some non-federal entity were willing to lend to you, are is willing to lend to your students, that that actually is a signal, right, of the value of your program, right? Like that could suddenly you get into this world where like that could be a proxy that exempts you from more traditional forms of accreditation, right? Um, I just feel like we're 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 not like thinking broadly enough about how to reinvent uh, the accreditation process. Any final thoughts for us? Yeah, we like, reflect, reflect on your time in Washington. And oh, I thought, I thought you thoughts. wanted to say something. No, no, no you... I just I just felt that it would be sad to be like, here's a very nitty-gritty point in crowd accreditation, yeah. and we're yeah, done. We're but you, like, yeah, accreditation. You, went up, you went up a level yeah. there at the end, so it's right. fine. Um, thoughts on my time in Washington? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, uh, I think it was a really opportune time to be here doing this work, um, and I have really enjoyed it, and I think... Uh, I think it's been interesting from like a even from like a political science kind of coalitions perspective to just watch how uh, how things started, how they've changed somewhat since where from where they started, um, and uh, in terms of like the big tent, big umbrella kind of higher ed movement in like oh nine and ten and some divisions in that started to become more evident. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's fractured in any way, like the K-12 side is. Um, but, but I, but that, that's been really interesting to watch. Yeah. yeah. I think it's fracturing a little bit. Um, and that's okay. I mean, I think, I think that's like actually like around free college and stuff. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. Um, I think free college and I think, uh, I just wrote a uh, free college piece too. And I saw that. New versus Mike. My six thousand word version. Six thousand word version. We'll never see the light of day. At this oh rate. no! Well, no, it just needs to. It, it, I need to figure out a way to write if it, it doesn't apply the student in debt as a non-problem, and I just have not had time to sit down and like devote the mental resources to it. So you know, um, if it does, it will be because of this podcast and like talking it out with you guys. So, well, that's good. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's been an interesting time. I think a lot of my work has been trying to you know, convince, convince people on the right to think differently about some of these issues. Um, I hope, and I like to think that we've been somewhat successful. Um, and I don't know where we're headed. I think part, that's part of what I'm sort of interested to watch. I'm, um, I do, I, I will say that like the idea of kind of rehashing, right. Arguments about free college or debt-free college for the next like four to four to eight years is, is like, I just I looked down that pike and I was kind of like, you ah, me a little bit, yeah. I know. Well, I don't. I don't mean <laughs> no, but like, but like, you write about a lot more than that, and That's I feel true. like, and yeah. I feel like a lot of what a lot of what you know, because there's not as many voices yeah. on the right who write mm-hmm. about this stuff that that we that we're sort of like always asked slash mm-hmm. you know solicited right mm-hmm. to like to like write on different things, and so that kind of like. I was gonna miss like, the uh, landmark loan forgiveness year, which is now somehow six months away. I don't I know, know how that it's gonna be. That's gonna be interesting. Like the first loans will be forgiven yeah. this year. Twenty seventeen, right? Is January twenty seventeen. Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I actually um, don't know if it's January. Somebody should ask Jason, who for sure should know, but it's 2017. He'll right. definitely know. He'll have it like marked on. Oh, I'm sure he's like counting the down the, the dates um, at this exact moment. Yeah. But it's been a lot of fun. You guys have been uh, so much fun to like, um, kind of fun, uh, laugh with and bicker with. Uh, uh, even the bickering's been fun. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate that. I'm really gonna miss this part in particular, and not just like the podcast, but just. Seeing all and the... You can still call us and we can talk off the record. Like, it's okay. Oh, I don't you can, know, like, put though. it on the calendar. Yeah, but, like, talking on the phone. Ugh, I have yeah, such a phobia about talking on the it's phone. The Maybe we could, like, Skype or something. Skype's not better. Um, I <laughs> will be, come like, back. You'll, like, you'll never be at what we'll have to do. What we'll have to do is schedule um, send you back. when You're I'm back. You're still running your secret cabal of... Yeah, the cabal. Uh, yeah, I will, I'll, come to the, I'll start coming to the cabal when I'm again. Back that's the real thing that's going to happen. the cabal, we could do, like, a fun, like, 30-minute update podcast. Okay. And like what's going on? Oh, that'd be like, awesome. Like, that'd be fun. Yeah. We'll You'll have to come now. Um, I know. Having I, I, skipped I, I, I've, I've skipped the past three, three but yeah. I, know, I know I'm probably three, off the list. It's been three? It's been three. Yeah. I've been oh really bad, Oh my gosh, guys. you, shouldn't, you this, shouldn't have said so. I, I was just say, this two. podcast is the only thing that's keeping your invitation coming, Libby. <laughs> that's everyone, right. Everyone else that's who does totally, that to us gets totally totally fair. That's totally fair. We're going to invite somebody else from Vox soon. No, you're not. So anyway, cheers. Thank you very much for being podcast hosts. I love when people come up to me at random and say, oh, I listen to your podcast. And it's never like the same type of person. Hmm. That's awesome. I do have a friend who's you like, know? is Andrew a jerk? He seems like a jerk. And I'm oh, like, no, <laughs> he's the nicest guy. I don't know where you're getting this. So I just want you to know that I'm like vouching for you. Great. Thumbs up. This podcast has been very helpful for me. And on podcast. No, I've noticed this actually about Washington. This is one thing that I've noticed, which is that there is a tendency for people on the right, uh, people on the left to interpret people on the right as kind of jerky. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because because we're so often out massively outnumbered that we argue pretty doggedly, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Jason, J- I think of Jason as yeah. similar to this, right? right? Like, but it's partly because yeah. nobody's, <laughs> nobody's ever behind you, right? right? Being like, yeah. Right, and so like that's what that's part of what's I'm sorry, fun the about the center this. left is like mm. constantly assaulting you. It must be, it must no, be no, it's not. No, it's not at all that. It's actually, no. it's actually like, it's actually just like, it's actually less so that it's actually that there's reactions when you mm. write something, yeah. and there's always an undoubtedly like multiple parties reacting. Um, whereas I don't find, I often find that I'm the one, the lone person reacting to somebody else's writing. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not, there's never like yeah. this. It's often not this. I, I assume if I did more on like culture war type stuff, that it'd right. be different. Don't do that. Yeah. But I just, yeah, please don't. Yeah, I don't. No, I, I avoid that stuff like the plague. So, um, uh, anyway, so, but yes, so that's good to know that my podcast legacy is Andrew is a jerk. That is one person. I just, I, to be fair, I've been less successful in persuading non higher education people to listen to us pontificate about higher ed subjects for well, an hour. I cannot understand by the way, why. By the way, but like, I just want you to know that I write your defense every time. And it's like, no, so, it's great. So as a so personal anecdote, when my when we go down to visit my mother in law in Florida, there's a there's a Jamaican restaurant in the town that she spends the winter in that's called the Jerk Store, and it's also a famous line from Seinfeld, right? The Jerk Store crawled there out of you. That's amazing. Whenever we drive by the Jerk Store, my wife says, "Do you want me to drop you off?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so your friend's comment is not out of left, not out of left field. Well, okay? And I want him right. to know that I pushed back on air on his. I appreciate that. Thank um, you. Well, Andrew, we will miss you, but we will see you soon. Yes. So thank you very much. Cheers. 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 Plastic cup, silent cheers. And as always, Plastic thank cup, you to John, Amanda, Simone, and the rest of the great production staff here at New America. Mm-hmm.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in every month. We will will see you soon. Thank you for listening to this New America podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Music thanks to Silent Partner for their song, George. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.